testimony. Hebrews 11 says God used Jacob's testimony. So we're looking at the testimony of Jacob and, and uh, how Jacob journeyed from being a selfish, sinful human being to where God brought him in the very end. And we're almost there. This is the second to last message in the series. We started with where we saw Jacob being born as a grasper, a selfish person, just how we're all born. We're, we're born sinful and selfish. We saw where Jacob made a commitment to God. He vowed a vow, and he, he committed his life to the Lord Jesus, to God the Father. And, and uh, that's the commitment every one of us needs to make. You know, we can be good people, we can be good citizens, but if we've never committed our lives to Jesus Christ, to be our Savior and Lord, then we have it, we've missed the boat altogether. Jacob made that commitment, but also Jacob struggled. Remember, he wrestled with God. And all of us, even though you become a Christian and commit your life to God, doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles. You're going to have difficulties, and you're going to wonder, God, where are you? What are you going to do? How are you going to fix this? And we have struggles in our faith, and that's what we see in Jacob's life. Then we also saw that Jacob was a worshiper, and that he had times where he worshiped God on his own, but he also where he called the his family together and the Israelites together and they worshiped corporately and how we saw we need one another. We can't just say, well, you know, I can be a Christian. I can worship God wherever I want to. And yeah, that's true. But if you never worshiping with the body of Christ, again, you're missing something very important. But Jacob's got another aspect of his testimony that's quite powerful and impactful on his future generations. And if we can harness this aspect of his testimony, it and make it part of our lives, then our testimony would impact our families for generations to come. Jacob was a blesser, a blesser, B-L-E-S-S-E-R. And today, <clears throat> I want to show you the power of the blessing upon your families. I'm not talking about the prayer you pray before you eat. I'm talking about the missing ingredient in many homes that, if left undone, will lead those in the home towards bitterness and hurtful relationships in their family and with other relationships outside their family. The missing ingredient that I'm talking about is the blessing. God instituted the blessing at the time of our creation. The very first time we see that word is in Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, where he created male and female, man and woman, husband and wife, it says, and God, you guessed it, what did he do? He blessed them. What do you think that involved? It involved many things that we just read over and we don't quite stop to think about and to understand. But God is, was, always will be the original blesser. We were created for blessing. Our souls crave to be blessed. It's part of God's design. God told Abraham, he blessed Abraham, and he said, you will be a blessing. He told Abraham to pass it on. In Genesis 14, Melchizedek met Abraham. Melchizedek was the Old Testament picture of Christ, and it says he blessed Abraham. In Genesis chapter 27, if you want to open your Bibles there, Genesis chapter 27, if you go back and read that today sometime, it'll show you how and where Jacob learned the power of the blessing. And you know the story. Jacob's mother knew the power 
of the blessing. And she told Jacob, here's what I want you to do. I overheard your father telling Esau, your brother, go out and kill the meat that you know I love. Come home and prepare it for me, and then I will bless you. Well, Jacob and uh, Rebekah were imperfect parents, as we all are. Rebekah played favorites with Jacob. I'm with, uh, uh, yeah, with Jacob. Isaac played favorites with Esau. Well, Rebekah said, Jacob, I overheard your dad telling Esau this, but we're going to, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go kill the fatted calf. And I want you to bring it to me, and, and I'm going to prepare it like your, I know your father loves. And then I'm going to send you in there, and, and I'm going to put these. Uh, and Jacob said, well, wait, he's going to know it's me. He said, my brother's red and hairy, and he smells like the field. And, and well, you know, Jacob, uh, Isaac, was blind at this point. He couldn't see very well. And so Rebecca said, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to put some goat's hair on your arms so when he feels your arms and he will feel the hair like Esau and I'm going to put Jacob I'm going to put Esau's clothes on you so when when uh, Isaac hugs you your father hugs you he's going to smell the smell of Esau and 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 that's exactly what happened Uh, Jacob went in under Rebecca's advice and deceived his father and stole the blessing from Esau Jacob learned the power of the blessing early in life and from an imperfect and sinful way. But yet, he never forgot the lesson. We read in Genesis chapter 25 that Esau sold his birthright for a pot, for a bowl of soup, a bowl of stew. He came in from hunting and and Jacob had prepared some stew and Esau said give me some of that and Jacob said I will if you sell me your birthright and Esau said what good is my birthright I'm about to starve to death so he he just blatantly passed up his birthright but when it came to the blessing you know he didn't seem to be bothered that he gave up his birthright but when it came to the blessing from his father we read in chapter um, 27 that when he found out that Jacob had stole the blessing Esau mourned and wept and begged his father, Oh, Father, don't you have another blessing? Oh, Father, please bless me too. Please bless me. Esau craved the blessing from his father more than his own firstborn right. Jacob and Esau understood the power of the blessing in the family. What's the blessing? How do we incorporate the blessing into our homes and in our families. We're going to look at that as we look at the life of Jacob and Esau and then another Old Testament figure. First of all, what's the blessing? I hope you're taking notes because you really need to incorporate this into your life and into your family. It'll change your children. It'll change your spouse. It'll change your grandchildren for future generations to come. This is not something just to take nonchalantly and to say this is one man's opinion. This is biblical truth. And I challenge you to take notes. I challenge you to remember this. You can go back, as we're recording this, you can go back and listen to it on our website later. But to bless translates to bow the knee. So I'm going to give you four things of what it means to bless. Number one, it's giving honor, respect, dignity, and significance to that individual, to your spouse, to your child, to your grandchild. Or to somebody else you might bless. It's showing honor, respect, dignity, significance. 
honor, respect, dignity, significance. Secondly, it's expressing love and bestowing great value upon that person. We're going to talk about how we do this in just a moment, but this is what it is. It's giving honor, respect, dignity, significance. It's expressing love and bestowing great value upon the person. Thirdly, it's giving that person a picture of a special future, a vision of unlimited potential within them. It's giving that person a picture of a special future and a vision of unlimited potential within them. How many of you could say, yes, my mama used to tell me, God's got a great plan for your life. Or my grandmother used to say, God's going to use you one day. Or my dad used to say, God's got big things. You're going to do great things one day. Anybody ever have that testimony? Anybody? You see, I've heard that many times. And it gave them hope. And it, it, it caused them to buckle up and say, that's exactly the future that I want to have. And fourthly, it's a commitment when we're blessing someone like this, we're committing our lives to them and helping fulfill God's purpose for their life. In Genesis 27, let me show you these things. Look at chapter 27, verse 25 through 29. So here's Isaac blessing Jacob, whom he thinks is Esau. But I still want you to hear the principles here. It says he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and he blessed him and he said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. We read this again in chapter 48 as Jacob understands the power, how that bestowed upon him. His father bestowed this special future on him. His father bestowed honor and dignity and respect and significance upon him. His father bestowed love upon him. Now Jacob, in turn, is becoming the blesser. At the end of his life, he's bringing Joseph and his two boys, and he gathers his sons at the close of his life in chapter 48 and 49, and he bestows the blessing upon them. Here's what he says to Joseph's sons. In Genesis 48, 15. And he blessed Joseph and he said, God, before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And then we read in chapter 49, the whole chapter. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but it's uh, Jacob blessing each of his sons. As it says in verse 28, he sums it up. He says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them, and he blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. He confers the blessing upon his sons and his grandsons. So you see the blessing is... Is giving honor and respect, significance, dignity. It's expressing love and bestowing 
uh, great value upon that person. It's giving them a vision of a special future and unlimited potential, and it's committing your life to them. So how do I do that? If that's so important, how do I do that? This is the bulk of the message right here. First of all, write this down. Unashamed emotions. Unashamed emotions. Give you a hint right here in chapter 27. One of the ways you can do that is through meaningful touch. Notice verse 26. Isaac said to Jacob, come near now and kiss me. And he came near and he kissed him. Same in chapter 48 and verse 10. Now the eyes of Israel, that is Jacob, were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought his sons near Jacob and he kissed them and embraced them. Why do we find that so hard to give meaningful touches to our children, to hug them, to touch them in significant ways, shaking the hand, patting the back, hug and embrace? Let me tell you, according to many studies, and one that I'm going to read here by a professor of psychology at the University of California, who I don't even know if he's a Christian or not, He's an author, professor. He says a pat on the back, a touch on the arm. These are everyday incidental gestures. You know, when we had our greeting time, you patted people on the back. You shook their hand. Maybe you hugged them. Maybe you just patted their arm. Things you don't give a second thought to. We take these for granted, but touches are... Did you know our primary language of compassion and a primary means for spreading compassion? Let me read some of this study. In recent years, a wave of studies has documented some incredible emotional and physical health benefits that come from touch. This research is suggesting that touch is truly fundamental to human communication, bonding, and health. So when God blessed Adam and Eve, do you think that maybe he touched them? Do you think that maybe he embraced them? We see Isaac doing that to Jacob. We see Jacob doing that to Joseph and his grandsons and his other sons. Do you think that that's perhaps something very significant that we ought to be incorporating in our blessing to our children? He says the benefits start from the moment we're born. A review of research conducted by Tiffany Field, a leader in the field of touch, found that preterm newborns who received just three 15-minute sessions of touch therapy each day for five to ten days gained 47% more weight than premature infants who received just standard medical treatment. Similarly, research by Darlene Francis and Michael Meany has found that rats, (laughs) rats, if we want to figure out something about humans, let's study rats. has found that rats whose mothers... <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> I've read this before, but for some reason it's striking me funny right now. <laughs> rats whose mothers... No, moms don't try this, okay? 
<laughs> Rats whose mothers licked and groomed them <laughs> a lot when they were infants grew up to be calmer and more resilient to stress and with a stronger immune system. This research sheds light on why historically an overwhelming percentage of human babies in orphanages where caretakers starved them of touch have failed to grow to their expected height or weight and have shown behavioral problems. There are studies showing that touch signals safety and trust. It soothes. Basic, warm, meaningful touch calms stress. In a study by Jim Kuhn and Richard Davidson, participants... Anybody ever had an MRI? I know Tom's going for an MRI tomorrow. Y'all like going in that tunnel? Things about this far from your nose. Claustrophobic, you're freaking out. Here's what you do. You know, they, they say participants laying in an MRI brain scan are anticipating a painful blast of white noise. Now, that's probably not typical for MRIs. Showed heightened brain activity in regions associated with threat and stress. But participants whose romantic partner stroked their arm while they waited didn't have that reaction at all. Touch turned off the threat switch in the brain. So Lori, be there and just stroke Tom's arm as he's, as he's going through that MRI tomorrow. He'll fly through it. I had my physical this week, my annual physical. You know how fun those are, guys. I love Dr. Brewer. He's not only my doctor, he's my friend. Uh, but he was telling me, you know, <clears throat> in fact, he was telling me a story about uh, his son had gone to Nigeria, and a uh, Nigerian pastor shook his hand and just kind of hung on, and, and his son was trying to get free, but the Nigerian pastor just hung on, hung on, kind of like when you get a hug from Tana, you're trying to tap out, she won't, <laughs> she won't let go. Let me give you a hint, the longer you tap out, the harder she squeezes, so if you want out, just don't tap, just hang in there. <laughs> But this Nigerian pastor was just hanging on, hanging on, hanging on, hanging on. And he said it was making his son quite uncomfortable. And, uh, and, and, and also just looking at him in the eye, just giving him eye contact and hanging on to that arm, that hand. And so that's what got me to talking. I said, you know, it's interesting. That's kind of what I'm preaching about Sunday is the blessing and how we can confer that blessing upon those we love and, and by meaningful touch and how other cultures have, have this in their culture, but we've lost it. We've lost it in Western culture. And, and, you know, mentioned several nations and several countries and cultures that, that still have this as a part of their culture, but we in America, we don't. And he said that in med school, that they even teach the, the learning doctors to, at some point in the visit, to physically touch their patient. Now, you know, there's got to be some parameters to this in this litigious society. But, you know, before he even told me that, I noticed as I'm sitting on the, uh, the whatever you call that thing, yeah, the examining table, and uh, half-dressed, and, and he puts his arm on my shoulder. Well, that's kind of weird. <laughs> I don't have a shirt on, and this man's putting his arm on me. 
But he's my friend, so I forgave him. But that's something only my wife does. But, you know, I've realized, okay, he's a doctor. That's what doctors do. And then, then we have this discussion. And he said, in med school, they teach you that at some point during the visit to, have, to touch your patient in some way. And he said, the studies show, and he said, they've done studies on this. He said that when, a, when you go to a doctor and you get an x-ray or he looks down your throat, you know, he never touches you, just, you know, and he looks at an x-ray and he throws a prescription at you. You go, then you go start talking to people and tell them, well, what did your doctor do? He didn't do nothing. All he did was look at an x-ray and throw a prescription at me. He said that's the general uh, takeoff of a, a, the, uh, that kind of visit. But otherwise, if the doctor takes time, makes eye contact with you, listens to you, and in some way touches you, in some way, of course, non-threatening, that the patient comes away from there saying, yeah, my, I really had a good experience with my doctor. He paid attention to me. I could tell he cared for me. He was really interested in what was going on in my life. He said those, those patients fare far better than those who are just given a prescription. Now, we were created to need meaningful touch. That's why God gave us that sense. And he gave it to us in the largest organ of our body. You know what the largest organ of your body is? Your skin. And you have more receptacles for, for feeling in your skin than any other organ in your body. Do you think that's an accident? Or do you think that's by design? I tend to think it's by design. And fathers and mothers, we ought to be bestowing that blessing in meaningful ways. I can remember when Haley was growing up. You know, when she was a little girl holding her hand and having her on my lap and bouncing her and hugging her and holding her was no big deal but when she began to grow up it became a little more awkward for me probably for her too and I made a comment of that to Tana and Tana said honey that's when she needs it the most is when her body's beginning to change so I never stopped telling her she don't she I don't know if she likes her or not I still hug her and love on her and kiss her <laughs> and you know we do that with our boys even Hugging our boys. Our boys will still hug us and kiss us goodnight. You know, six foot six, six foot two, and whiskers. <laughs> Melt a daddy's heart. And a mama's, huh? You may not have grown up that way. We're going to talk about that, that, that at the end here in just a moment. Unashamed emotions. Unconditional expression. Why do I say unconditional expression? Because there's going to be times when you don't think they deserve it. But that's when it makes the biggest impression. When you don't think they deserve it. Let me ask you this. Did you deserve to wake up this morning, this side of hell? Did you deserve to get a breakfast this morning? Did you deserve to have the health to get in your car and drive to church this morning? Did you deserve that? Do you deserve the air you're breathing right now? How many of you sinned this week? Your hand ain't up, you're sinning, probably. <laughs> None of us deserve what we have, yet God keeps blessing, doesn't He? Amen? He keeps blessing because He's the perfect Father. And when we bless our children, unconditional expressions of blessing, even when they don't deserve it, it makes the biggest impression. How do we do this? Kind words is one way. Kind words. In Genesis 27, we see that kind words were spoken. We see what Isaac told Jacob. My God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Kind words. 
We see that in chapter 28. He blessed him again, verse 3 and 4. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land to which you are a stranger. He's speaking kind words to him. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 25. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. Chapter 16 and verse 24, the Bible says, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Speaking kind things to your spouse, to your children, to your grandchildren. Sincerely praising them. Praising their character more than their appearance. Praising their character more than their achievements. Hey, son, that was a great hit. You do need to say that. But son, I admire your sportsmanship that you didn't strut to first base with your chest out. You're humble. Well, that makes me proud of you. Kind words, sincere praise. And here's one. Listen you see the doctor visit? The doctor listen, eye contact. Listen with your eyes. Listen with your heart to your children. Let me tell you, that's been a discipline. That's been the hardest thing sometimes to do for me is to listen undistractedly when my children speak. Because, especially when they were little. Because when they're little, it's just like, it's silly, right? It's kid stuff. And you're too busy for that. I was too busy. I was doing the Lord's work, you know. And I wouldn't fuss at him. I just found it hard to, to focus in. Okay, what are you saying? What, what are you trying to communicate? And, and I would be distracted or I'd nod or grunt or, yeah, that's cool or whatever. And not have really heard what they said. And it's, it was, it's still kind of a struggle. Not so much as it was, but because they're older now. I remember, especially when Andrew was little and, and the boy never quit talking. <laughs> he had a question for everything. And why was his favorite question. And um, you know that stage. Some of you are there and some of you have grandchildren that are there. And, uh, you know, I would get frustrated sometimes and, and wouldn't pay attention, wouldn't listen. And you know what he would do? He would take his little hand and then... Make us look at him. You remember that? He'd look at me when I'm talking to you. You know what he was saying? He said, Mama and Daddy, I want your attention. You know, you think, moms and dads of teenagers, that your, your kids don't want your attention. They're desperate for it. They would never tell you that, but they're desperate for it. And when you give it to them, what they're desperate for, they don't have to go look into every Tom, Dick, and Harry to get it. They got it at home. And they're safe. And they're secure. That's how Absalom stole the heart of Israel. In 2 Samuel, in chapter 15, Absalom was David's son. He and David didn't have a good relationship. It said that... Um, 
Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was when everyone who, anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that is, King David, his father, that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Well, we're from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right. There's no deputy in the king to hear you. So what is he doing? He's, he's speaking kindly to them. And moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. And so what is he showing? He's showing a special future. Hey, I'll give you justice. And that guy's going, Yeah, that's what I'm looking for, justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. Oh, there it is, physical touch. And here's what the scripture says, in this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to him, and Absalom stole the hearts of men, the men of Israel. You want to keep, win and keep the hearts of these kids and your kids, your grandkids? I just gave it to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm not giving it to you. God's giving it to you. Jacob was a blesser. He learned the power of this early on. And I, I wish I would have learned the power of it early on. Unending repetition. Do it till the cows come home. Do it and then some. Giving the blessing is a daily affirmation, daily acceptance, daily affection, daily attention. Let me read you this illustration. Newspaper columnist and minister... George Crane tells of a wife who came into his office full of hatred toward her husband. I don't not only want to get rid of him, I, don't, I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as bad as he hurt me. Dr. Crane suggested an ingenious plan. Sinister. Go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. After you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then drop the bomb. Tell him you're getting a divorce and that'll really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes, she smiled and, oh, beautiful, beautiful. He will be so surprised. And she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if she loved him. For two months, she showed love and kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing. And when she didn't return back to Dr. Crane, he called and said, Are you now ready to go through with the divorce? Divorce? Never! I discovered I really love him. Her actions had changed her feelings. Motion resulted in emotion. The ability to love is established not so much by fervent promise as by repeated Deeds. Love is an action word. Loving your children. Loving your spouse. That's how you bestow the blessing. It's simple. It's just not always easy. There are times in my life still to this day that I know what my children need to hear, but for some reason I can't get the words out of my mouth. Anybody else like that? I know what they need, but it's so hard to say it. And then I ask, Lord, why is it so hard? Because I have to humble myself before God. 
And see, some of you find it hard because you never got that growing up. You're ignorant of how to do it. And you never received the blessing. Therefore, it's hard to know how to give it. But you know you, you still need it. And you know what you want. So how do you get it? It is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. But the Bible says give, and it will be what? Given to you. How will you get it? Give it. Give it. What about that old, that old man never gave it to you? If he's still living, go back and give it to him. What about that witch that raised you? You wouldn't call her that in public, but that's the way you feel about her. Go back and give it to her. Ask God to give you the grace to bestow it upon him. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Don't forget that illustration I just read you about the wife. You start doing it. There was this lady in, in Eunice that uh, she started off liking us. She moved to our church from, from another church, her and her husband, and she started off liking us. And uh, she would lavish gifts on us, but uh, people warned me that, uh, you know, that they would one day try to use that as leverage. Well, that day did come, and um, I stood my ground on what I believed was right, and they didn't like it, and then they became my bitter and mortal enemies. And um, she burned the phone lines up every day uh, with all the church members she possibly could, maybe others, just telling people how bad a person I was. I was a dictator and hateful and spiteful and revengeful and all this stuff. Some of you may believe that. I don't know. <clears throat> I didn't believe it. My wife didn't believe it. And she lives with me. But there came a time in, in her life, her son got cancer, lived in another city about 20 miles away, and I would, was there for them. In fact, when he died, drove over there, was at their ho his house with them, weeping with them. They wanted me to go to the funeral home with them, walking with them, picking out the casket and all that. Then her husband had to have routine stomach surgery. Routine. Just going in to take care of something. Doctor nicked a bowel. Every day, every time I went, the incision was further and further and further apart. It wasn't healing. We were off on vacation uh, close to the time. The whole time, every day, we were just praying and wondering would we get the call about Brother Slim. He didn't die while we were gone. We got home, though, and it wasn't long after he went to be with the Lord. Many a day, we, we would go and visit with Ms. Evelyn and just bring the kids as a distraction for her. Then she had a stroke and had to go to the nursing home. And Tan and I would bring the kids, and I used to play the guitar. I'd bring the guitar, and we'd play and we'd sing to her some of the hymns that she loved, pray with her, read scripture to her. And then God called us over here, and later she died. You know what God did to us? God gave, first of all, gave us the grace to do that. Did I feel like doing it? No. Because she had treated us hatefully. 
She had said all kinds of evil things about us. And at first, I was just doing my job, to be honest with you. I was just doing it because I, I was obligated. I was her pastor. I didn't have a choice. But after a while, God began to change my heart and Tana's. We began to really love Ms. Evelyn, really connect to her, and she began to love us. So no, you probably don't feel that way about your dad or your mom, or maybe even your kids. But just like you don't deserve the blessing, and you still get it, go back and give it away to those that don't deserve it. You see, there's some consequences. I know it's late. If you don't mind, let me just finish this because it's so important. There's some consequences if you don't do this. Some severe consequences. Absalom and Esau never got the blessing. Neither got it, and both became a thorn in the sides of their parents and a curse to the children of Israel. Some of the negative side effects of not receiving the blessing are bitterness and resentment. Esau was bitter at Jacob because Jacob got the blessing and he didn't. In fact, the scripture says he was so bitter he said he was going to kill him. But see, as parents, we don't give the blessing to just one child. We give it to every child. Absalom was bitter at David for not having received the blessing. Bitterness and resentment take place in the heart of the child. In fact, some of you today are bitter still because you didn't get the blessing. You say, well, that just, that's just that generation. They didn't know how to do it. No, they didn't know how to do it. But you know why they didn't know how to do it? Because their parents never gave it to them. But we lost it somewhere in America. We lost the ability to give the blessing. And it's created bitterness in our children and in our grandchildren. And it's time to stop it. And return back to our biblical roots. There's broken relationships. Jacob had to flee because of what he did to Esau. Because Esau was going to kill him. Jacob had to flee. Absalom tried to have an audience with David. David kept stiff-arming his son. Wouldn't give him an audience. There's behavioral violence or acting out that can happen. Esau said, I will kill my brother. And Absalom actually did kill his brother, Ammon. Bill Glass, founder of Champions for Life, shares Christ in thousands of cities and churches and prisons and youth facilities across the United States and several foreign countries. He said, I've never met an inmate. Listen to this. I've never met an inmate that didn't hate his father. Did y'all hear that? I never met an inmate that loved his father. He said 94% of prison inmates admit their crimes are acting out anger against their father. 94% of crimes are anger acting out against their father. Wow. You see how powerful this is? See how significant it can be? On the reverse side, only 10% of inmates are Jewish. One of, I can't remember who this was, but one of our church members' husband 
who worked with juvenile delinquents and dealing with over 10,000 juvenile delinquents said to me not one of them were Jewish. What does that mean? Well, according to studies that I quoted earlier, our Western culture, particularly the USA, is pretty touch-deprived. And this diminishes the aspect of the blessing. While families in other cultures, especially the Jewish culture, take this idea of blessing very seriously and literally, and therefore typically have very sound and secure families. 10% of prison population is Jewish. And one man said, after working with 10,000 inmates, he never met one that was Jewish. Why? Because they take literal this idea of the blessing. So you see, not only is there bitterness and resentment, broken relationships, behavioral violence, there's also a blasphemous lifestyle. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 26, verse 34 and 35, let me read this for you, about Esau, who did not get the blessing. When Esau was 40 years old, he took wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, Basemith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. What his parents hated, that's what he wanted. Why? Because he didn't get the blessing, and he was angry. One independent study found that one of the main reasons girls are sexually promiscuous is that they're looking for in a man the affection they never got from their dad. It goes on to say that one of the reasons boys turn to homosexuality is that they are searching for the intimacy with another man when they never receive the blessing from their father. Blasphemous lifestyles. So important they get the blessing at home. And lastly, another consequence of not giving the blessing is the kids are confused. Baffling security. They feel worthless and insecure, and they can't figure out why. Why do I feel this way? Why do I, I can't feel accepted no matter who in school likes me? It's because mom and dad don't like me, but they don't know that. Or they, at least they act like they don't like me. The only time they talk to me is when I, they're correcting me, or disciplining me, or telling me to do something. What if I didn't get the blessing? The Bible says in Deuteronomy 23, 5, the Lord can reverse the curse. He can reverse the curse in your life if you never got the blessing. So what do I do? Well, you can confess this bitterness, this broken relationships, your behavioral problems, your long right, wrong lifestyle choices, all your insecurities. You can stop blaming your parents for them. You say, well, didn't you just tell me it was their fault? No, what I'm telling you is that that's what it leads to. But we're responsible for our own actions. We need to accept responsibility for our own actions. Confess these things to God and, and release them to God and ask God to cleanse our heart and to forgive us for, for ill feelings towards the ones from whom we didn't receive the blessing. Receive the blessing from the Lord. Remember, He blessed Adam and Eve. Receive it from God. You're blessed. If you're saved, you're blessed. If you're here today, you're blessed. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said in Psalm 32, 
32.1, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You've been blessed. Receive the blessing from the Almighty Father, the greatest Father. Receive that from Him. He even said in Matthew 5, when you were, when you were at home growing up and maybe you were cursed, maybe you were beaten, maybe you were abused by the ones that should have been blessing you, but you were being cursed. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those in all the Beatitudes. See, He was blessing. He was, he's, he's still blessing. Receive the blessing from the Lord. And then lastly, as I share with you, give it away. Give it away. It will return to you. It may not come to you from the one you're giving it, but it will return to you in some form or fashion. And it will be, this can be a powerful turning point in your testimony and your witness for Christ for you and for generations after you to come. You're conferring honor, respect, dignity, love, value, a special future, unlimited potential. You're conferring that upon the ones you love, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. Grandparents, practice this on your grandchildren. You say, oh, that's easy. But if you missed your children, go back and give it to them. You say, that would be awkward. Yeah, it's going to feel awkward at first. You know, we didn't grow up the same way Tana's family grew up. I grew up in a preacher's home. She grew up in a deacon's home, them reprobates. <laughs> I loved Mr. Marvin, her daddy. Her daddy was a touchy-feely guy. He became my best friend after I married Tana. He loved to hug. That's where she gets it from. Made me feel so special. He was my cheerleader. He told me things that I wished my dad would have told me. I love my dad with all my heart. He's my dad. But we didn't grow up the same. We didn't get the hugs all the time. I knew my dad loved me and my mom. We did things together. Dad would take me fishing. We'd do things, but there were certain aspects that, that I didn't get that I wished I would have. But see, now that it's, I'm older in life, I've learned, my relationship with my dad and mom changed. Especially when my brother came into our world. You don't walk in a room where Brian Waller is and not know him. If he doesn't know you, you will know him. And you'll probably know more about us than you care to know. <laughs> but God used him to bring an element into our home that we needed. Where arms had to open up. Where things needed to be said and were said. And now it's more like that than it's ever been before. You see, it's never too late. It's never too late. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Do you remember at Jesus' baptism, as Jesus was just entering the ministry, and then on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was about to go to the cross, both of those critical moments in his son's history 
the Father said these words. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God's the greatest blesser. And he pronounced a blessing upon his only Son, publicly, where others could hear it. that's the God you serve isn't that the kind of person you want to be ask God to help you to be a blesser in your home in your family it will make a significant difference for generations and into eternity don't wait for your wife, men. Take the lead. We men brag about wearing the pants in the family. We'll put them on. Wear them. I dare you men to start off in this. Start with your wife. Tell her the things you know she needs to hear. Share your heart with her. Pour it out like you've never poured it out before. Ask her forgiveness for not doing so before. Wives, your husbands need that affirmation. They need to know that you're proud of them, that you respect them for what they do. Parents, go home today and bless your children. Say, what do I say? Well, give it some thought, maybe. Years ago, I, I in fact, just came across it this week in my computer. I wrote out a blessing for each of my children, then I read it to them and gave it to them. I came across it again. I said, I'm going to make another copy of that and give that to him again. Maybe make a few changes. Maybe give it some thought. But make it a point this week to bless your children in some way. Father, we need your help to do this. It's powerful. It's in your word. You started it. And you want us to carry it on. Would you please help us? Lord, you know there's a resistance for some stupid reason. There's a resistance in our hearts to it. Bind and rebuke the devil because that's who's behind that resistance. And God, free us up. Help us to open our hearts to the people we love the most. We'll tell our coworkers more about us than we tell our own families. We speak encouraging things to strangers when we don't say a word to our families. God, forgive us and help us to be a blessing. For the sake of our families and for the name and glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're just going to have music this time. And we're going to leave these altars open. Maybe you want to start this morning. Bring your wife, your children.